Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today. I'm Darren Hefty. Thanks for joining us. Well, we're going to talk a little bit today about potassium recommendations. And when we think about NP and K, um, I, I think overall, from what the data shows, most folks are doing pretty good on nitrogen, at least putting on what they need. Sometimes I would say the problem on nitrogen may be going slightly above, but it's so hard to know because going into the season, what are you going to get for yield? And you want to try and guess that nitrogen pretty close because, of course, it is leachable and it is something that we can lose. So we don't want to leave any out there. You aren't really going to stockpile it for next year. But with P and K, you potentially can. And they, they will hold in soil a lot longer than something like nitrogen would. And now if you're in super, super sandy soil with tons and tons of rainfall, you're you're managing for the next few weeks at, at best. When you're in super heavy soil in the West and you don't get much rain, uh, P and K is something our, our dad would always tell us. You know, if you make some extra money on the farm, that's your opportunity to build P and K levels in your soil because hey, you know there's going to be a year coming. Maybe it's next year, maybe it's a few years down the road where you might not be able to afford as much P&K as you need, and, and now you can always draw back out of that bank if you need to. And he's he's been absolutely right about that, that building up those levels gives you a lot of cushion on a year where finances are tight, but it also helps the crop a lot, and it lets you shoot for higher yields. So it's kind of a nice thing. We talk a lot about potassium and different measurements that we see on soil tests and what we think about those. Here, Here's a couple of things that I just want you to keep in mind. Parts per million on potassium are important. You have to have enough parts per million. So people say all the time, oh, no, you guys talk about base saturation a lot. Yes, we do. But don't forget, you need enough parts per million. You have to have the volume of potassium out there in the soil as well. So just for example, say that you're in a very light sandy soil and you have 50 parts per million of K. That's not enough. <laughs> That's not enough to raise high yields. So you're going to have to add more, even if your base saturation says you're already at 8%. That is not going to last very long, and especially when your crop gets into that high demand time, it's going to run out really quickly. So we want to look at both those numbers. How many parts per million you need, it's going to vary depending on how heavy your soil is. So if you've got a really heavy soil, say that it's a 30 CEC, you may have 500 parts per million of potassium out there and still be just a little bit short. Chances are you won't be, but... You could be because you've got just so much calcium, so much magnesium, so much of everything else that potassium in proportion to all the other nutrients is really at a low percentage. So for your root system to find that, it's going to be tougher. And for your root system to bring it into the crop in a hurry when your crop really needs it, when it's filling pods on soybeans or or filling out that ear it's just not going to happen. That's why we talk about having a high base saturation percentage. So it's easier for the roots to find it. This is even more important in a dry land situation and in a heavy soil situation. So use all these things as information and just pay attention to, to these factors on your farm as to, well, how much potassium do I need to, to reach certain yield levels? The big thing that we've done in our farm that's helped us analyze this, and, and I recommend this for anybody, is look at your yield monitor. See what your yields are on certain areas of the field 
and then see what your potassium levels are or any nutrient in those areas. So for example, let's just say you're a 200 bushel average corn farmer and you say, you know what? I have one part of my farm that yields 300 bushel. It's fantastic over there. Take a look at what your soil levels are for various nutrients. And if you notice, man, I, I have a higher level of potassium in that part of my farm, that gives you a pretty good indication of what you can do for the rest of your farm and how you can try and get to those high yield levels. So for, for us, we've watched our potassium levels and other nutrients for years, and we see if we can get to at least 4% base saturation. Now, it's going to vary in parts per million depending on how heavy the ground is, but if we get to at least 4% base saturation K, which is generally for us at least 200 or 250 parts per million in our heavier soils, but more commonly it's more like 400 plus parts per million of K, we get higher yields all the time. We have bigger, thicker stalks. We don't see lodging. Uh, even when the wind blows 70 miles an hour, we, we don't see the lodging that we do in our areas of fields that are lower in potassium. So that's enough for us. We've seen enough evidence. And so what we've done on the, the entirety of our farm is try to build K levels. And in the last couple of years here, we picked up a couple of new fields that we're farming. And this is one of the first things we do is try to build up fertility levels so we can have excellent crops in those fields. So we're going to talk potassium today. If you've got questions on this, our phone lines are going to be open, 844-44-AG-PHD. You can call in and, and chat with us about it. Or you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. I've got a stack of soil tests in front of me. I don't know that we're going to get through a ton of those today. We'll, we'll try and get through a few of them at least. Uh, but I've also got some other questions that have come in for the Ag PhD mailbag. And uh, Alex, let's take a mailbag question right now. It's the mailbag! All right. Uh, this one comes in from Stephen. He's over in Minnesota. And Stephen said, hey, guys, I'm just curious. Have you done any studies on Pivot Bios products and, and some of these other nitrogen-providing microbial-type products? Just curious what you've seen. Actually, Stephen, we have done quite a bit of research on that over the last few years on, on not only uh, Proven 40, but, but other products that are claiming to provide more nitrogen to the crop. And I'll, I'll tell you a couple of things. One, we've seen as good, if not better, gains in soybeans with some of these products. So for guys shooting for 60-plus bushel beans, we have seen a response in beans that's been a better return on investment even than using it in corn. Uh, and one of the reasons why is in corn, what we found is that in many cases, people are putting on enough N. They're scared to cut back. So if you're going to use these, you're going to have to cut back the N if you want to really see a gain. And what we've seen is most of these nitrogen replacement type products are providing 10 to 20 pounds of nitrogen, just depending on the product. So we think they all work. They just don't put 40 pounds of N out there. 10 or 20 is about it. We'll be right back. Palmer Amaranth. Four counts of yield theft, resistance to groups two, four, nine. You ain't got nothing on me, man. We've been surveilling you. And now we've got Tough 5EC, a tank mix partner that'll make sure you and your gang of resistant weeds never see the daylight again. Crack down on repeat offenders. Add Tough 5EC to your post-emergence tank mix. Learn more at toughonweeds.com. Always read and follow label directions. Tough is a registered trademark of Belsham Crop Protection. 
One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improve drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Wednesday, February 8th, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We'll have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details, go to agphd.com. Good morning and hallelujah! Watch it. My spray and pray days are over! What's with Randy? Oh, he's just amped. <laughs> we feel heaven Amped? Yeah, he ordered that new Battalion Amp herbicide from UPL. They're calling it the new gold standard. This is the greatest day in herbicidal history! So, how can I... Get amped? Just go to battalionamp.com. It's gonna be a good year! Always read and follow label directions. Control the toughest weeds with overlapping residuals. Lock in the longest lasting control for your soybean fields. A pre-emergence application of an authority brand herbicide plus a post application of Anthem Max herbicide establishes the overlapping residual control key to safeguarding your soybean seasons. This pairing is a heavy duty economical strategy against Palmer Amaranth, Waterhemp, Kosha, and more. Visit your FMC retailer or lockin.ag.fmc.com today. Always read and follow all label directions. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we're talking about making your own potassium recommendations. And we've got a lot of requests for this over the years, as many growers that we've talked to have said, my fertilizer dealer kind of has this NPK blend that they like to run, and I find they're running the same blend on all my acres or running the same blend with my neighbors. And I know I'm getting more yield than them. Why are they putting on as much fertilizer as I am? And our response is always, well, what do your soil tests say? And how much do you think you need? When we look at potassium, uh, there's a lot of good data out there about how much crops remove at certain yield levels. You can build your own tests. You just need a little bit of practice and it won't take you very long and you'll get pretty good at this. Got one of the experts we like to talk to on the show, Alan Perry, uh, out in the state of Maine. He works with the Farm Technologies Network. Alan, thanks for joining us. Hey, how are you guys doing? Doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. It's nice and cold here, Alan. Maybe we'll get all this cold weather out of our way, so when you come see us in February, it'll be a little better. Well, it can't be much worse. We're going to be minus 25 Fahrenheit here tomorrow. Oh, boy. That's not good either. We aren't quite that cold yet, but oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, we're ready for winter to be over. Hey, we're talking about potassium. And one of the things that we say, being in the north, uh, is, hey, our ground's frozen for half the year, so our nutrients are going to stay put. But really, unless you've got really light soil, potassium stays put pretty well. Uh, yeah, it, it's pretty good. Uh, if your fields are, you know, in like uh, western Pennsylvania in a 30-degree slope, that might be an issue. But for the most part, it, fields are fairly flat. It'll stay put. Well, we get questions about the timing of these applications of, of different fertility products. And a lot of times farmers are talking to us in the fall and they say, hey, I'm going to be planting crops next spring. And I want to maybe put P and K out here in the fall. Uh, so talk to us a little about potassium. Do you find that a good idea to put it out that far in advance? Uh, or or would you rather see it put out a little closer when the crop needs it? 
I think that's a, a thing, a question that there's a little confusion on, and I think the answer's uh, really understandable if you see what we're thinking about. Um, I want, based on the crop you're growing, a certain percentage of my soil's capacity to be potassium. And, for example, I might, on potatoes or corn, I might want 7.5% potassium. If your soil doesn't have excesses on other nutrients, then, and your soil level is currently 2.5%, I would be in favor of putting on 5% potassium as soon as you can. If fall works for you, great. Put it on, let it give it time to work and get the soil set up. But if you're already at 8% or if you have some other nutrients that's excessive, that strategy doesn't work very well. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, you know, to uh, to your point, for a lot of those fall applications, it ends up being potassium sulfate or it ends up being potassium chloride or potash uh, with those dry products. You know, my dad always felt that way, too, farming here in South Dakota, dry land farming. He said, I do like getting stuff out a little bit in advance just because we're going to need some moisture to try to break those those granules down. Yes, and wintertime can be a little bit uh, misleading. Uh, under the snow, under the layer of frost in the soil, is probably some fairly active biology. So things will work uh, even in the winter. All right, you mentioned uh, looking at base saturation. I, I was starting the show off saying, hey, I still do look at parts per million. We we really need to have a certain amount of overall pounds of material out there that the crop's going to take, but having a higher percentage is going to be pretty good for crops that have high demand for potassium to be able to find it. Uh, you mentioned potatoes and corn needing pretty high percentages of of K. Are there some crops that you would say, you know what, 2%, 4%, something else might be sufficient for those crops? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, lettuce and spinach and leafy greens that are mostly nitrogen. Um, the rule kind of is the more upright and woody the crop is, the more potassium it needs. Potassium makes the, the tree trunk stand upright. Uh, if you're in an orchard and you're having damage to your trees because of frost uh, or ice, uh, an ice storm that breaks up the branches, that's a potassium deficiency. The branches aren't tough enough. If your corn is is green snap, is a potassium deficiency. It's, it doesn't have the stalk strength to stand upright. So on those upright and woody-type crops, trees and nursery things, uh, higher levels, but leafy greens, golf courses, home lawns don't need that level of potassium. All right. Here's a tricky one, though, Alan, and we get questions a lot from growers that have low CEC soils, whether that's two or three CECs or or maybe it's 10. Uh, they, they find, gosh, even if I'm up to 7.5% base saturation K, I don't have very many parts per million out there. I know it's not going to be enough for me during the year. Do you load up at the start of the year and count on kind of a slow release out of things like potash? Or do you say, you know what, you're going to need an in-season application and maybe you even have to run with a liquid in-season? Uh, 
yes. The the uh, one of the examples that I first got involved with was raising potatoes in southern Florida. The exchange capacity of the soils was less than two, uh, and the potato crop we had a high demand for potassium. And first of all, you want to make sure you get to your seven and a half or eight percent base saturation. You can't you can't go to ten or eleven because you start tying up other things that you need too. Um, so you get your seven and a half percent, and then, like feeding a small child every four hours, you've got to go back. You can't dump all your fertility on at planting. You've got to keep going back with small doses to keep feeding the crop as you go through the year. And we use the sprayer and put it on as a liquid down there. Uh, it worked quite well. Um, sometimes you don't have that equipment or that ability to do that, but that's the strategy. Feed, feed it like a small child. Yeah, there's there's a, a lot of different soils out there, a lot of different types of crops, and and certainly every farmer is set up a little bit differently in terms of what what the equipment is like, and do you have irrigation or not, and and those types of things. Uh, with K being such a, a nutrient that the crop pulls quite a bit out of the soil, uh, obviously when you've got high demand crops, or if you're in a situation where man, I'm just barely getting by spoon feeding here in low exchange capacity soils. Soil testing has got to be yearly, doesn't it? In those situations, or or what do you what do you see, Alan? I'm sure you work with growers doing a lot of different things. I think that it it depends a lot on the value of the crop, and that's not the same in one state versus another, and especially one country versus another. But uh, our potato crops here in Maine have a high potassium demand, but are they're not a real high value crop for us. And we'll probably get by with a soil test every other year. Uh, but in California, and if you're working on wine grapes or something with some real high value, yeah, you're going to want to do more testing. But sometimes a pile of numbers doesn't really help you as much as you think. Once you get this figured out and get a sense of how it works, you can learn to read the crop and do quite well. Um, we would love to have soils above eight. PEC, exchange capacity, those are the ones that are going to be most friendly. It's when you start getting below eight that you're going to have to start improvising a little. Yeah, there's always a lot to learn, and certainly uh, being a, a student, every time you're raising a crop, paying attention, taking some notes, seeing what kind of reactions you get, what kind of yields you get from from different techniques and different rates that you end up using is, is a big deal. Uh, I love talking with Alan Perry because he works with so many crops and so many growers. Uh, Alan, you always make it easy for us. Thanks. We really appreciate all the info. Well, if anybody wants to hear a little bit more, I'm going to come visit you at your conference the end of February. So if you got questions, come on out. I'm sure you guys can show people how to get there and uh, love to talk to you. So You bet. Of course, we'll Alan's, talk, Alan's talking about the Neil Kinsey seminar coming up uh, towards the end of February. You can find all the details at agphd.com, and you can register there. Uh, Alan is going to be one of the speakers, and we're really excited to, to have him here. We get so many questions uh, every time Alan's on the show. Uh, we've got another one of our favorite guests coming up right after this. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Stay tuned. Precision crop nutrition pays. And AgroLiquid has precisely what it takes to help you succeed. The right products plus the right expertise to give you guidance based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. While our clean, seed-safe formulations and lower application rates make planter fertilizer easier than ever. 
AgroLiquid. Apply less. Expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. It doesn't matter what you grow, how much you grow, or where you grow it. Commodity Classic is the place to discover what's next in agriculture. Join us in Orlando for America's largest farmer-led, farmer-focused educational and agricultural experience. Preparing for the next generation. March 9th through 11th, 2023. Discover more at commodityclassic.com. Get more durability for less downtime with Soil Warrior Strip Tillage from Environmental Tillage Systems. Improve fertilizer efficiency and reduce passes and fuel usage. Now that's ROI. Learn more about ETS at SoilWarrior.com. With superior materials, craftsmanship, and best-in-class warranty, a Morton machine storage or workshop is built to stand the test of time. To learn how we can help you expand your farm operation, visit MortonBuildings.com. How can you make your corn crop more successful? I'm Darren Hefty. Thursday, February 9th, we're going to answer that question at a free Ag PhD corn agronomy workshop at the Morton Center near Baltic, South Dakota. We'll talk about water management, fertility needs, finding success in cold soils, and we'll discuss how to protect your corn crop from weeds, insects, and diseases that can rob your yield potential. There's a great opportunity to make profit in your corn crop this year. Don't miss the free Ag PhD Corn Agronomy Workshop. Register now at agphd.com. This is Stormy Fields with your weather forecast. Today calls for a high of 68 degrees with sunny skies and not a cloud in sight. Planting windows can close fast, so when you need both speed and accuracy, choose John Deere. Our exact emerge planters and precision ag technologies give you precise seed placement for uniform emergence and the efficiency you need to gain ground. See what you have to gain at johndeere.com slash gain ground. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD if you have an agronomic question for us. Or you can always email us, radio at agphd.com. Well, I said before the break, we got another one of our favorite guests on. We've got Bill Brush with B&B Ag Consulting out in California. Bill, how are you doing? Good, Darren. How's things back there? Well, if you heard our conversation that Alan and I were having, uh, it's cold. <laughs> we're both pretty cold. So I, I'm sure you were smiling thinking, man, I, either I made the right choice or my ancestors made the right choice <laughs> placing me here in California. How'd you end up in California? Did you grow up there or did you move out there? Oh, no. I grew up out here. My, uh, In fact, I farm a lot of the old uh, family farm which we've been out in california farming this since 1854 so we've been here a while yeah yeah well good choice <laughs> this time of year yeah that's, and, it's a great place and to be. we're also also happy because of the amount of rainfall we've gotten so far our our drought 
although not ended, at least is going to be a little easier to manage uh, with the rain and snow we've got so far. So we're, we're smiling a little bit. Yeah, we've, we've seen a bunch of this on the news and just kind of watching, but they don't talk as much about the farmers as maybe they should. I guess I'm not, I'm not sure why, but uh, uh, yeah, what a, what a difference. So anyway, but yeah, the grocery stores are still full, so they, there isn't any panic in the streets. <laughs> I get it. Well, okay. So all those all those consumers they they don't really understand what a big deal potassium is. What are they missing? Well, you know, it, there's a reason. It's uh, when you look at a so, uh, uh, normal fertilizer analysis, it says NPK. And K uh, gets a lot of attention for a lot of reasons. One of the main reasons is it's really expensive to purchase and build up. And it's hard to build up in soils, particularly if you've got big calcium or big magnesium deposits, because those two cations are going to struggle and push it out of the way. So it becomes really important that you want to get K into the plant to get that calcium magnesium in balance. And I've done it many times in, in almost any type of soil uh, exchange capacity you can imagine out here in California. And once I get my calcium magnesium balance, all of a sudden I can mine out a lot of the latent or the built up potassium that's in the soil. Most soils are inherently have thousands of pounds of potassium, but it's tied up and not mineralized by the microbial activity very well until you get calcium magnesium in balance. So, uh, so I think that's your number one focus. And then worry about feeding that crop. So, all right. So you mentioned the the calcium and magnesium pieces first, and and I think that's interesting because a lot of times when we have a fertility seminar and we're we're talking to growers, they're just excited to hear about nitrogen. When are you going to talk about nitrogen? And we say, well, that that might be on day two or at the end of the day. Here, we got a lot of other things to to get in place first, and. So you mentioned getting that calcium and magnesium uh, right to begin with. We look at so many tests, Bill, and we've got guys with heavy soils and way too much of one or both of those. Uh, where yep. do you start? Where do you start on that? Yeah, well, you you first have to see, you know, where's the exchange and how much in my budget can I afford to amend in any one year? Uh, when should you start amending? Well, if you need to, as soon as you can with as much as you can. You know, we see some heavy soils that when we start look, putting a pencil to the numbers, we're looking somewhere at 8 to 10 ton of, of a limestone product. Well, you're not going to put that in in one year, and you hope that you have a cheap enough lime source to be able to put at least 3 to 4 ton out if you're in those caves. But if you don't get there, you will forever never get the balance of it out. You know, we I've started with many soils here where we've got nitrogen that was being put out uh, at high rates and still showing tissues of, of deficient nitrogen, that once we got calcium magnesium, we cut slash that to half and, and maybe even a little more than half and had better uptake into the plant. So, so Dr. Albrecht liked to say it. He didn't say it goes to that nitrogen or the nutrients go in with calcium. So they come over the back, which means it opens the portals up to the point that allows nutrients to be taken up uh, more frequently or more, or more easily by the plant and giving up a less energy back to get that. The one thing you got to, it's not how much you put on, it's how much gets into the plant. That becomes the criteria that we're trying to do that. If you could cut half your nitrogen budget out knowing that I'm going to get a better uptake, 
you can do it. But if you never go back and fix those basics, because it's all about the biology. And until they have the right amount of calcium magnesium to give them the porosity and the air spaces in the soil to thrive, you're never going to experience what you can. And, and a lot of people don't know that it's possible until they really experience it themselves. Uh, you know, I heard a good friend of mine that was on earlier, Alan Perry, and one of the things that, that he's worked with is light, sandy soils. And there isn't a lot you can do. You try to get your calcium up, but you're basically feeding the crop. And, and that's one of the things I always look at. A lot of people really get hung up on percentages. I like to say the plants don't eat percentages. They eat pounds. So you need to know what's my removal rate. And they got great data on corn, soybeans, and most of your crops back in the Midwest. If you're not at least putting what's being removed, well, you're falling behind and you're getting further and further from your target. So know the pounds you need and make sure that if you don't have them, we're going to have to add those back in. Uh, you get a real sandy soil, and I'm talking less than five, really getting down into to the threes and fours of total exchange capacity. No matter what you do, they don't have the ability to hold enough potassium to feed the crop that you're trying to grow. So you basically are feeding the soil to feed the crop. And it's a whole different uh, philosophy. Uh, the good news is it's easier to do that because I, I know what I've got kind of more control. The harder thing is you got to do it every year. Whereas yeah. you get a heavy yeah. soil, and I'm talking one that's 20 exchange or higher, and I get it in balance, oh, it stays there for a long time. And I can then reap the rewards of getting it to the right balance of where it needs to be CalMag and then go in there. The main reason potassium always comes into every discussion is guess what? It's expensive and we want <laughs> yes. to make sure we're going to get the most out of it. If we're going to spend that much on potassium, how do I know I'm going to get it out? And uh, again, if you don't have the balance, it's not going to out compete calcium or magnesium for a spot on the soil colloid. And so you, then the only way you can really get enough potassium is, and that's hard to do in a lot of these, this country is basically feed it a bunch of times over a long period of time and getting some in every time you irrigate or every time you get some rainfall, you're getting potassium to move into the plant. Also know what, what it's really important for, you know, it's essential for photosynthesis. It controls the guard cells. It's really important in finishing every crop, getting that last bit of weight into the crop. Uh, it has multiple functions. I probably don't have enough time to talk about all the functions of potassium, but it really is what I, I like to say. I think Neil calls it the controller. It controls so many functions of, of a plant's of, uh, ability to grow that it really has so many periods. In addition to a lot of our crops, which remove it, a lot of potassium, a good corn crop is going to remove as much uh, potassium as it does nitrogen. But most of the times we never feed our potassium level that we feed our nitrogen. I'm so disappointed that Brian isn't here uh, in the studio for today's show because we may have found somebody just as passionate about potassium as Brian. <laughs> it's Bill Brush well, out in California. Hey, I, I, and and again, you know, I'm really looking forward to seeing you guys towards the end of the month also with Alan and, and some of the some of the friends and people to, to pass on experience that I've gotten and uh, the crops I've worked with and, and what to, how to go about 
putting together a good fertility program. Well, and, and you know what? Brian says this too. He's like, well, this is why we're so passionate about this because we've seen it. We've seen it in the field. We've seen it make a difference, not just on our farm, but for so many farmers out there. And, and it's why we're talking about just the ability to make your own potassium recommendation. And you may have a great consultant in, in your area. Uh, maybe you're in Bill's area. Maybe, maybe you're listening to us from there, but, uh, <laughs> if you get a great consultant, that's awesome. But if you also know how to build your own potassium recommendation, then all of a sudden it makes sense. And when somebody like Bill says, hey, you need to put on 300 pounds of K right now, you can look at the test yourself and say, you know what, Bill, that makes sense. I really need 500. I shouldn't do it all at once. So I'm going to do yeah, 300 this year, and, and that might fit my budget. And, and you can have a great, uh, intelligent conversation then with your consultant. Hey, hey, Bill, we're up against a break here. Uh, I can hold you on to, to the next one if you'd like to. Otherwise, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, okay. I'll hold on this a little bit. I got a couple other things that are really important, I think. All right, stay tuned. It takes balance to be successful in farming because what you get out of it depends on what you put in. And Corteva AgriScience gets that. Introducing Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer, a biological product that naturally captures nitrogen from the air. It's a sustainable way to add balance to your traditional nitrogen methods and maximize your yield potential. Embrace a balanced approach to nitrogen management this season by visiting Corteva.us. The value of your farm building is in its ability to protect what's stored inside. That's why Morton Buildings ensures that every machine storage and insulated workshop we build will provide superior strength and durability. As a 100% employee-owned company, we're all committed to being the industry leader with a focus on innovation, service, quality, and most importantly, customer satisfaction. To get started on your next project, please visit MortonBuildings.com. This is Mike. Hey. He's getting a quick haircut at the local barber school. It's only five bucks. How bad can it? Yikes. Don't be like Mike when it comes to weed control. Get the job done right the first time and plan ahead with Status Herbicide. It delivers elite corn safety and reliable performance, so you don't have to deal with more problems than you bargained for. No, 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 no! Status Herbicide from BASF. Always read and follow label directions. One of the most important things you can do for your farm is improve drainage. Hi, I'm Darren Hefty. On Wednesday, February 8th, we're hosting a free Ag PhD tiling clinic in the Morton Center on our farm near Baltic, South Dakota. Whether you've been tiling for years or looking to plan your first project, you won't want to miss this event. We'll have a whole host of information for you, including a legal session with the country's top drainage lawyers, as well as presentations on tile design, lift stations, and ways to approach neighbors and landlords about tiling issues. For more details, go to agphd.com. When it comes to cereal disease protection, Prosaro Pro 400 SC fungicide from Bayer makes all the difference. With three effective active ingredients for overlapping control of foliar and head diseases and a flexible application window for head scab, it's formulated to lower dawn, protect yield potential, and promote superior grain quality. Prosaro Pro, the future of plant health starts here. Visit prosaropro.com to learn more. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Win the war against weeds in your soybean fields with fierce herbicides from Valent USA. With three different formulations and multiple modes of action, you're sure to find the right fierce product to protect your operation from tough weeds like Palmer Amaranth and Waterhemp. 
Give your soybeans a strong, clean start with up to eight weeks of residual control with the powerful pre-emergence protection of Fierce Herbicide. Ask your local retailer or visit valent.com fierce to find the right fierce formulation for you. Always read and follow label instructions. Talking potassium on today's Ag PhD radio show and how important it is to understand what you're looking at on a soil test and, and how you take that data and convert that over into making your own recommendation and, and why. Why you should think about potassium for your fields, why it makes such a difference. And I don't know if I'm going to get a whole lot more passionate than our friend Bill Brush did in the last segment. Uh, and we got Bill back to talk just a little bit more. Of course, Bill's with BNB Ag Consulting out in California where they're finally getting some moisture. They might actually have a shot to make a crop this year. It's exciting, Bill. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're way excited, really excited about what we've seen so far. But I don't want to take up a lot of anybody else's time. But I think it's really important that, that I didn't stress two things. One, when you go to put together a recommendation, particularly when you're going to figure out how much potassium, how much nitrogen, everything, is to look at what's my yield goal. What is the goal I'm looking for? A guy that's got a 100 bushel or 150 bushel yield goal is different in his fertility program than a guy that's at 200 or 250. So you have to put together that. And the other point, and this strikes right at that, because recommendations without economics is malpractice. Okay? You aren't, you know, it's great. It's, you can shotgun any recommendation and you're going to do really well. But you may go broke doing it, but your crops turned out really well. You have to feed for the level that you expect to yield. And if you're trying, you know, and then you can adjust. Oh, this yield looks better, bigger than I thought it was. I can adjust down the line and help it. But if you start with, I'm going to grow, we'll just take a number, 300 bushel corn, and you have never grown 300 bushel corn, and you think you're going to do it right out of the back just by throwing off, off this recommendation, not going to happen. You got to get your soil in shape before you can look at the higher yields you want to attain. Plus, what's the price? You can't spend a dollar ten and get a dollar's worth of results. I mean, you can't do that easy. You have to understand the value, price value, uh, you know, paradigm, and know what you can do. So I'm going to let you go so you can get to your other guys. But I'll, again, look forward to seeing everybody back there uh, towards the end of February. Sounds great, Bill. Really appreciate it. Thanks for all the insight. Okay, you bet. Thanks, Darren. We're talking potassium. You can you can see how passionate Bill is about that. Let's just hit on his last two questions that he had. What's your yield goal? And be realistic about it. And that's something Brian and I discuss all the time. And here's what Brian's response to me is. He's not here to defend himself. but So Bill made the comment, uh, so you're shooting for 300. Brian, Brian would argue, you know what, Darren? I've got some areas of my field that are 300. Variable rate makes a lot of sense. I totally agree. Variable rate does make sense. And his other feeling is, as long as I can afford it, it's not a bad deal if I put a little extra out there on something like P&K, they're going to stick around. And that's the other piece that Bill discussed there. What are the economics? Now, if you say, okay, I'm in a two-year spread, and I hear farmers say this all the time, well, I'm in a corn-soybean rotation. I'm going to put enough for two years out so I don't have to pay the applicator to come twice, so I don't have to put wheel tracks through my field twice, all those kinds of things. I understand that, but Potassium is expensive. There's no question about it. Even when it's a good buy, it's still an expensive nutrient to put out there. 
and you've got to run the run the numbers on things. And and if you say, you know what, okay, that does make sense. I'll spend a little extra this year, but then I'm going to save on that application cost, and that's going to be a good investment for me. Okay, that's fine. I, I don't have any problem with that. But if it's well, I'm going to go from, and Alan talked about this. He said, what if you want to go from 2% base saturation K to 7, and you want to do it all in one year, and you got heavy ground? Okay, you're going to spend more that year than what you're probably going to make back. And if you say, well, I own a thousand acres and I'm just doing this on 40, fine. It's probably no big deal. But if you say, well, I'm going to do this on every acre, you might go broke and somebody else might be reaping the benefit of all that potassium you put out there. So you got to be smart about the economics when you're doing things like uh, large fertilizer applications. Uh, and then one of the comments that Bill made too, uh, he said uh, that Neil Kinsey has talked about, or Dr. Albrecht, I think he said, talked about this too, uh, that, that potassium is the controller and it controls a lot of functions in the plant. Uh, I know going back to what Alan said too, he said, you, you'll notice it on the more upright and woody plants. They need more K. And you often see when you get heavy snow and ice in the winter, you'll see branches breaking. Uh, oftentimes, if you did some testing, you'll see you're short in K. That a lot of times you'll say, well, maybe it's the older branches that aren't as strong. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's some other health-related issue with the tree. But we also see young trees that that snap. Why? Uh, and take a look a little bit further, rather than than just saying, well, that's just that's just bad luck. It might not be bad luck. Green snap is when we talk about a lot in corn. Every corn plant is susceptible to green snap. There's definitely times where they're growing really fast and they're just weaker. That's true, but what if you build your K up to super high levels? And I think as much as, as we talk green snap, I think just lodging in general, whether it's stock or root lodging, yeah, there are some genetics out there that don't put on the biggest stock or have the most massive root system. I understand that. But if we can put more K out there, we generally get thicker stocks. We generally have a bigger base that we're building on. Uh, so you got to be real on some of these things, too, and say, you know, why didn't the whole field go down? Why did just this spot? Or why didn't my field go down, but the field across the road did? And start doing some comparison on that. And, and I know it's easy to say, well, it was a different hybrid over there. Yeah, but look out in that field with the same hybrid all the way through the field. How come areas are going down and others aren't? It could be potassium. It could be something else. But we've got to look at this. And certainly potassium is one of those nutrients that is really important in having a good, strong stock. Okay. Uh, other comment that was made here earlier about um, how much do you really need to put out there for certain yield goals? So I just pulled up the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app. It's a free download if you don't have it. Um, check that one out. It's probably the most, well, it is the most popular download, I think, of all the apps we've done. And it's free. Uh, so we took information from the International Plant Nutrition Institute and uh, just typing in 200 bushel corn. How much K does it need? Well, the removal rate for just the grain alone is 50 pounds of K2O potassium, 50 pounds. So you'd have to put on 100 pounds of potash just for what the grain's going to remove. And back to the point that that's expensive, 
Yes, it is, but look at how much value you're hauling off the field if you're hauling 200 bushels of 6 or $7 corn. You've got a lot of gross income there to play with. Uh, when you look at potassium, what does that plant really need to take out of the soil? Well, that answer is 270 total pounds of K2O potassium. Now, you don't have to apply 270 pounds of K2O potassium to raise a 200-bushel corn crop if you've already got a bunch of potassium in the soil that's available for your plant. But this is where soil testing and past experience really come into play. If you see, you know what, I have spindly little stalks every time I plant corn, that would tell me a couple of things. One, I probably don't have enough potassium uptake. And two, I might be planting too much population. I might not be realistic here thinking I'm going to get 300 bushel corn. Maybe I need to back off a little bit, have a 200 bushel goal first, and drop my planting population down to, say, 25,000 so I get bigger stocks out in the field. And then I can start building that potassium up and, and start putting more on. And, and to the point Alan Perry made, over time, you can build your base saturation up to a really good level. And then you can start pushing populations. And ultimately, when you figure out all the fertility things in your soil, you can start shooting for higher yields. So I, I would, again, suggest downloading the Ag PhD Fertilizer Removal app. You can run those numbers for yourself. It's not just for corn. It's for almost any crop you can think of. There's a ton of different crops on there. And if you don't see the exact crop that you're raising, maybe you'll see one that's a very close relative and you can kind of get an idea of where to go. And certainly there's a lot of, of university work and private work done on what kind of nutrient levels you need in your soil and in your plants to re reach certain yields. And you can go off of those numbers too. Uh, we just use the the International Plant Nutrition Institute numbers just because they, they don't have an agenda. They're not biased. And uh, there's been a lot of research that's gone into those as well. All right. Talk a lot about potassium today. If you've got questions, our phone lines are open 844-44-AG-PHD. Uh, a couple of guys here had mentioned the Neil Kinsey Fertility Seminar coming up later on in February. You can find details on that at agphd.com as well. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. My mom's got a new case IH tractor, and it can do it all. Bail hay all day. See in the dark with its powerful LED lights. Hook up all the implements. Shift like a race car? Steer with ease. And it can also cool my juice box. Yeah, her Case IH tractor can do everything she needs it to. Looking for a tractor that can do it all? Check out CaseIH.com. Your crop deserves the best, not just a contender. Choose a Champ brand fungicide from New Farm for proven performance in the formula you prefer. Champ Formula 2 Flowable offers exceptional mixing and stability in a liquid copper. Champ Ion comes supercharged for superior coverage in a dry formulation. Any way you turn, New Farm has the copper solution you can win with. Put a champ in your corner at newfarm.com slash uscrop. 
The greatest herbicide of all time earned its title by defending your soybean fields. Authority Supreme Herbicide's low-use rate formula delivers longer-lasting control of broadleaf weeds and grasses, providing you with the best-in-class combination of Group 14 PPO herbicide sulfentrazone and Class 15 molecule pyroxysulfone that outlasts the competition. We're Authority Supreme Herbicide from FMC, and we play to win. Learn more at authoritysupreme.ag.fmc.com. Always read and follow all label directions. Cold weather draining your batteries? Nothing delivers peace of mind like a quality battery charger from CNB. Going on now? Buy three batteries and get the charger on sale. Learn more or shop online at DeerEquipment.com. CNB, your local John Deere dealer of choice. Offer runs until May 2023. Get your planter ready for spring with Germinator closing wheels from Farm Shop MFG. When you buy 12 rows or more, get free shipping or 20% off an end zone bin system. So call Farm Shop MFG today at 712-520-6051. At Corteva AgriScience, we want to keep farms healthy and productive, today and tomorrow. That's why we're investing in a robust pipeline of naturally derived biologicals. Meet Nutrition and Nutrient Efficiency Optimizer. It's a sustainable nitrogen fixation product that facilitates crop growth and optimizes yield potential. With the fluctuation in fertilizer prices, Utricia N is a reliable solution. It can be used alongside your traditional nitrogen program to enhance your ROI this year. For more information, visit Corteva.us. This season, get medieval on Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia fungicide from Valent USA. Here to shield your sugar beets from the treachery of Rhizoctonia, Excalia delivers excellent staying power, keeping your sugar beets from being conquered. Stay one step ahead of Rhizoctonia with the powerful protection of Excalia. Ask your retailer or visit valent.com slash Excalia to learn more. Always read and follow legal instructions. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We've had a number of questions come in for the Ag PhD mailbag. I'm going to try and get through a number of these yet before the end of the show. And of course, if you have a question, you can always call us radio, or you can email us radio at agphd.com or call us 844-44-AG-PHD. I get this one in from TM. Just kind of curious, what is the uh, row spacing that you feel is the best for corn? Um, actually the question says maize. Uh, well, uh, TM, uh, that's, that's really, uh, dependent on a lot of things. We plant corn that's 30 inches in between the rows on our farm. Uh, that's our equipment fits between those rows. Uh, we've tried some different row spacings out and this one seems to, to do pretty well for us. But there are other farmers I know that like to plant corn at 22-inch rows. Some plant at 20 inches between the rows. Uh, and probably the most narrow that I've seen many acres planted at was 15-inch rows. It kind of depends on what you're going for. Uh, the guys doing the 15-inch rows, I know some of them that I've been on their farms have been shooting for corn silage, where they're harvesting the whole plant, um, not just grain, but for a lot of the grain farmers, it's 20-inch rows or 30-inch rows are, are the most popular. Uh, thanks for the question. We appreciate that. Okay, next one comes from KMG. Uh, and I think I got another email that came in from KMG as well. Uh, just saying, good morning. Thank you guys for your show. Uh, 
I still watch even some of the old material that you have out there available online. We don't have any extension in our part of the world and not much education at all on agriculture, so your program is really valuable to us. Hey, thanks, KMG. We really appreciate that. I uh, get this one from BC who says, If I planted 40,000 seeds per acre of corn and I have two ears on every stalk, what does that mean? That means you're going to have tremendous yields, BC. That's going to be really good. Uh, and I got a few questions in here about the number of ears per plant. And uh, I guess, yeah, that, that would mean really good corn, BC. Uh, Scott says, Sometimes a higher population is like shooting yourself in the foot with corn. I agree, Scott. We we believe that many farmers are planting a little too high a population, at least in parts of their fields. I, I really do believe in variable rate population based on the fertility in the soil, the soil type, the rainfall you're getting, those types of things. And no doubt about it, if you overpopulate, um, you could go backwards on yield. And for farmers that don't believe that, I always say, well, why don't you plant 80,000 seeds per acre just on an acre? And guys will say, no, I don't want to do that much. That's going to be bad. Yes. So you're agreeing with me at some point, it's going to be bad. I'm not saying 40,000 is too much in all situations or anything like that. But in some cases, yeah, if you don't have the fertility or good soils, that that's going to be too much to get good yields. Uh, I'll get this one from Francisco. He said, my rule of thumb is always 10 bushels per thousand on my farm. If I want 310 bushel corn, I will drop 31,000 seeds and not one more. Francesco, I definitely agree with you. That's that's my top end too, that uh, I should be able to get 10 bushels per thousand if I get all my fertility things right. Uh, this one's from Amar, and he said, I'm, I'm new to farming. I'm raising tomatoes, and I want to band my fertilizer. I see on the Ag PhD fertilizer removal app, it says 25 pounds of nitrogen for 10 tons of tomato and 0.11 pounds of zinc for 10 tons of tomato. My question, if I've got one acre, can I really put on just 0.11 pounds? How would I do that? Well, Mark, when you've got to put low rates of something like a micronutrient out, we're often doing that broadcast and we're doing it with a liquid. Um, it, it would be really tough to spread a dry at that lower rate and really get a good spread pattern. Uh, some will take dry fertilizer and uh, spray a liquid micronutrient product over the top of it or use a, a powder liquid micronutrient product and spread over the dry granules just so uh, you can spread a small amount of micros and get it put over a big amount of acres. So there's a few different ways that you could do it uh, as far as banding. That, that's going to be a little tricky to get that rate just right. Um, I, I, a lot of times, too, will look at what soil test levels are for zinc and see where I need to be. We generally want to see, well, depending on what you're raising, and I guess in this case you're raising tomatoes, um, we would look at soil test levels of phosphorus. And let's just say you're at 50 parts per million of phosphorus. We would probably shoot for five parts per million of zinc, in that case, a 10 to 1 ratio of phosphorus to zinc. Well, if you're going to build to five parts per million, maybe you're going to put on several pounds of zinc out there per acre and maybe do that one time 
and get levels built up. Now, you say you're new to farming, so chances are you don't have tons of extra money to spend on fertility for future crops, so I do get that. My suggestion this time would be just use a liquid. Uh, they're generally not super concentrated. You can mix them with water, dilute it down, and spray it out over your entire farm and address your nutrient needs that way. All right, next question comes from TG. Uh, you were talking about field corn. I My question is about sweet corn. If you dried sweet corn, would it look like field corn? Well, that's an interesting question. Oftentimes with sweet corn, we're harvesting it when those kernels are plump and full of juice and full of sugar. If you let that dry down, though, it doesn't look exactly like field corn. Now, you still have an ear, but oftentimes those kernels on sweet corn are, are really shriveled up. I mean, just look at the sweet corn seed that you plant. Uh, it's, it's generally some pretty shriveled up seeds. So, nope, looks a little bit different than what field corn looks like. Uh, get this comment that came in from Obi-Wan. <laughs> I wonder where you got that name from. Uh says, it's the worst thing on our farm, sagebrush. It's everywhere, and it just ruins our fence lines. We actually had a wildfire go through on our ranch, and it was the best thing for removing this weed. <laughs> Nothing but grass grew after the fire, uh, where before the fire, it was almost all sagebrush, no grass. Hey, thanks, Obi-Wan. Really appreciate that comment. Yeah, we were talking about sagebrush as a weed of the week. And I know if you drive through states at... I was driving through the state of Wyoming and we just saw all these brush weeds like that that were taking over pastures and then right across the road there were virtually none. So clearly the the rancher had done some practices whether that meant spraying the weeds or using rotational gra grazing and good fertilization practices something to, to keep that weed out of his pasture. So, yeah, it makes a big, big difference for how much grass you're going to get if you get rid of weeds like that. I got this one from Brian. He said you guys are talking about how many ears of corn are going to be on a plant. I'm all for all the plant wisdom you guys can give. I'm thinking about reducing my plant population maybe as low as 16,000 plants per acre and shooting for two ears per stock. I could give up a few bushels of yield and I could still have more profit. Well, getting two ears per stock is not as easy all the time as just reducing plant population, but it's certainly one of the things that you could try. Getting more sunlight down to the ear leaf is really one of those things that can help. And, and certainly a thinner planting population or a wider row spacing can do those kinds of things. You often notice that, especially around the outside few rows on the cornfield, that you'll see even at higher populations, two ears per stalk. So something to look at, something to get good at, Brian. And, and certainly when you look at some of the super high yields that um, – that world record holders have had, uh, national winners, state winners. Many of those guys will comment that they're averaging an ear and a half per stock or more. Yeah, if you can do that, uh, getting getting all that corn um, per, for less seed, that's a good thing. You just have to look at what the total economics are for your farm. Maybe buying more seed is not a bad deal if you could get more yield net per acre. All right, get this one in from Jason up in southeast Saskatchewan. He said, my question is, uh, with farmers bringing in inputs 
earlier than ever before. Are there any products, primarily pesticide sprays or fungicides, we need to be aware of what their storage life is uh, before chemicals or even naturals begin to degrade and lose their effectiveness? Well, that's a great question, Jason. And for the most part with crop protection chemicals, the shelf life is great. So you don't have to worry about that. Just make sure you're storing it somewhere where they're not going to freeze uh, and as far as the naturals go, many of them have a one to two year shelf life. So you just have to look at each individual product and see what kind of storage requirements they have and what their, their label is. So if they've got a two year label, you for sure want to make sure you're using it up in that time. Hey, thanks, Jason. We really appreciate the, the question. Oh, I should mention too, a seed. Uh, that's another one. If you store it in cool and low humidity, uh, you can get that seed to last longer as well. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.